Hi, this is Mouseketeer Arnett. Oh, I always got that wrong. It's Lonnie, Mouseketeer Lonnie Burr, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond, where I have fantasies and tales to tell. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome to episode 142 of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this is your weekly look at what's coming your way as far as movies, remakes, sequels, TV and movie DVD releases, and, of course, our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, you're going to hear it right from his own mouth, Lonnie Burr, one of the Mouseketeers, is going to be joining us. Lonnie's got a lot to talk about, and we're going to get into that in just a few minutes. But we want to remind you, of course, that... Um, on Screen and Beyond, you can contact us at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and you can uh, you know, say hi, whatever you want to do. People are sending me emails all the time. We appreciate it. And uh, contests. We got a contest coming your way the first week of January, okay? Your chance to win some stuff, okay? Some goodies coming your way from On Screen and Beyond and Shout Factory. We've joined up with them. We're going to have some... Uh, DVDs to give away, so we'll give you complete details next week right here at On Screen and Beyond. And you can also check things out at uh, onscreenandbeyond.com, of course. And, of course, if you like us on uh, Facebook, you can get on there and you can find out information, too. So that's all going to be coming up shortly. Uh, let's see. This week's On Screen and Beyond's top five downloaded interviews. Well, number five was Robert Fuller, who's episode number 70. Of course, Robert was in a lot of westerns in the late 50s, early 60s, and a lot of people you know him from Emergency. So if you want to hear that one, Robert was number five. And number four downloaded episode last week was Kathy Garver in episode 120 of On Screen and Beyond. She, of course, was sissy on Family Affair. Number three was Stan Livingston. Stanley Livingston, of course, was on My Three Sons. He was in episode 25 of On Screen and Beyond, so you might want to check that one out. And let's see, number two most downloaded interview on On Screen and Beyond last week was from The Spy Who Loved Me, Richard Keel. He was the villain in that, and uh, he was in episode 135 of On Screen and Beyond. And let's see, the number one downloaded interview last week on On Screen and Beyond was Linda Gray from Dallas. And she was in episode 115 of On Screen and Beyond. So that was this week's top five downloaded uh, interviews right here at On Screen and Beyond. So you can check those out, and we'll see what's uh, the biggies next week. And uh, let's see, coming up in just a few minutes, Lonnie Burr is going to be joining us, so stick around. That's coming up in just a few minutes. But right now, let's check out Remake Madness right here at On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness, well, Universal is planning to remake the 80s Stephen King novel-based film Firestar, and Drew Barrymore starred in the original. No word yet who's going to star in the remake, but we'll keep you updated. And director Catherine Hardwick, who was the director of Twilight, will be uh, making a remake of Hamlet in 2011, and of course that was from William Shakespeare. It's going to be a little bit different, I'm sure, but not quite uh, the way it was. And a remake of 1988's Child's Play is in the works, and it's hoping for a 2011 release. We'll see what happens on that. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, upcoming movies.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Upcoming movies, well, it looks like Chris Tucker will star in a film set for a 2013 release, and it's going to be called The Rabbit, and it's listed as a comedy, of course, and Robert Downey Jr. is set to star in a film in 2012. It's about a pair of songwriters who, after a Broadway flop, uh, look for inspiration as counselors at a theater camp, and in the pitch stage right now, While We're Young is a film about an uptight documentary filmmaker and his wife who find their lives loosen up after finding friends with a free-spirited couple. And that's going to be James Franco and Ben Stiller are currently attached to that. That's about it for upcoming films. And sequels are next right here at Sequel City on On Screen and Beyond. Sequel City. Well, Miramax has announced a partnership with the Weinstein Company to produce sequels. Okay, that's what they're going to be doing. And the first batch of films will be a sequel of Bad Santa. We sort of talked about that one possibly being made. Rounders and Shakespeare in Love. All right. And as things move along, they're also looking at potential sequels and TV projects for a couple of films like Bridget Jones's Diary. And from Dust Till Dawn, Swingers, Clerks, and the Amityville Horror. And there's just a few of the ones that they're going to be doing. And they are also already releasing Scream 4, or getting ready to release Scream 4, on April 15th, on 2011. And Spy Kids 4, on August 19th of 2011. And Scary Movie 5 is going to be coming your way. So those are a couple of things they're working on. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, TV on DVD. TV on DVD, well, it looks like The Secret Life of an American Teenager Volume 5 hits stores on December 21st. And on March 29th, you can look for Dennis the Menace Season 1 in a five-disc set. And The Rich Little Show, the complete series, comes to DVD on February 15th with the mid-series, uh, mid-70s rather variety show featuring the master of impressions, Rich Little. And that's about it for TV on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, movies coming your way on DVD. Movies on DVD, well, it looks like Step Up 3 will arrive on DVD on December 21st. And uh, let's see, March 1st, you can look for Bambi, the Diamond Edition, as it comes your way from the vaults of Walt Disney. And on February 8th, you can look for You Again with Kristen Bell, Jamie Lee Curtis, Sigourney Weaver, and Betty White. And that's about it for movies on DVD. Coming up next, we're going to take you back in time, back to the original Mickey Mouse Club with one of the original Mickey Mouse Club Mouseketeers. It's Lonnie Burr. He's next right here on On Screen and Beyond.
55 years ago, the Mickey Mouse Club debuted on TV, and kids everywhere huddled around the TV to watch the Mouseketeers every day. Today, my guest on On Screen and Beyond is one of the original Mouseketeers. It's Lonnie Burr. Lonnie, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad you're not our main mathematician because we started longer than that. It was more than 50. 62 years ago, in 1955. Okay. That's probably a confusion, 55 years ago. In 1955, October 3rd is when we premiered, although our first TV appearance was uh, June 17th, 1955, at the opening of Disneyland. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, we did a parade for a while, and then uh, we came out of the Mickey Mouse Club Theater. Now they changed it later to just the Fantasyland Theater. But for years it was the Mickey Mouse Club right. Theater. And we had our first roll call, and the only one in all the years in which every single Mouseketeer got to say their name in roll call. It was confined to just uh, one of the three groups. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the things about the Mickey Mouse Club that I always thought was kind of neat. Because, you know, on different shows, you don't really get to know everybody. Mm-hmm. But on the Mickey Mouse Club, no matter how much they did or how little they did, everybody got to say their name. Uh, yeah, well, that's again, uh, people think that, but it was just a certain group of us, and that changed year to year. There were 39 kids on the show uh, the whole time we taped. 39 of us wow. lasted the entire time, four boys and five girls. Uh, Cheryl was well-known, the late Cheryl, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was only in the second and third season. But uh, the kids all had their names on their shirts. They just didn't do roll call. They had three teams working. One would go to school, one would rehearse, and one would shoot. And they were very concerned about getting, you know, uh, although we didn't do the entire hour, we had our 15-minute segment, mm-hmm. and some of us did other segments, and then, of course, some of us introduced the cartoons. But still, that's a lot of film to get down in 1955 when things uh, on television were really new, you know. Right. So they had the three teams. So we all wore our own names on our shirts, but not everybody uh, made it to roll call. Hmm. I mean, I can barely, you know, remember the shows and everything like that, but uh, it, it, it seemed like, you know, you were there every day. Is that true? or? Uh, well, we worked, uh, the first year we worked six days a week, because that was allowed by law. Uh, the second and third year we, we worked five days a week, so we worked there all the time. But you have to have, uh, for the five uh, days of the week, you had to have three hours of school, you had to have an hour for lunch, mm-hmm. and that only uh, leaves you with four hours to shoot, rehearse, uh, practice, uh, get makeup, uh, put your costume on, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But they found out uh, after that first year they could get it done with fewer people. So they, they fired a, a lot of the kids the first year, and more than 50%, and then hired some more back, but not as many. Yeah. And they just did the same for the, for the next season. And uh, that's how there were just the nine of us that lasted the, the entire filming. Hmm. Yeah. So and it, uh, also you said uh, you remember because of when you saw it, but most people don't realize that the Mickey Mouse Club was not just the 50s. It ran in the 60s. Right. Oh, yes. It ran in the 70s starting the second version of the show, which didn't last long. It ran in the 80s when the Disney Channel came on every day, five days a week, right. six years. And that started the third version with Justin Timberlake and, uh, you know, all those uh, people, the really fine actor Ryan Gosling and Kerry Russell and, and Christina Aguilera. Mm-hmm. Just out in that Aguilar right, in, that, in that film that's just ended, and Britney, of course, Britney Spears. But um, that was the third version, and then we took over again from 1995 uh, through uh, September of 2002. Gosh knows if we'll ever play again. But we also uh, early in the, the run we hit over 18 countries, five languages, and um, it's still running places that uh, I didn't find this out from Disney, but uh, a fan who was an American and not, has lived, been living in Russia the last. 30 years said it's been running in Russia since, uh, you know, the, the wall came down. 
And so his kids got raised on it the same as he and his wife had, and his grandkids can now watch it on Saturday. That's amazing. Yes, I mean, <laughs> it is. It's the. It's uh, most people just say, "Oh, that's that show from the '50s." Well, it's run longer than that, and we have at least two generations, and still millions of fans. You'd be amazed. People go kind of bonkers and say, "Oh, Musketeer!" You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you find it difficult doing, you know, schooling and 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 being on the air all the time like that? Well, it wasn't. Then? It wasn't for me because I was one of uh, out of all those kids, one of two pros. Uh, the other one, Sharon, was uh, mainly a dancer, but I was an actor in radio and television and film, uh, uh, live uh, theater, plays, etc. Uh, so I did uh, all of those, actor, uh, dancer, and singer. Mm-hmm. And I had been doing that since 1948 when I was five. So when the show came, I turned 12 after we started rehearsing. And uh, I went steady with, uh, which Annie mentioned in her autobiography, with Annette Funicello, the first season during the the filming and afterwards until we went on our hiatus when you stop filming until the next season but uh, we were in love and um so it wasn't that much of a deal uh for me because i was you know used to hitting my mark remembering my lines and right. my dance steps and my lyrics and all that it was difficult for some people uh, one kid was fired the first day uh he just couldn't act in front of the cameras and his brother took over for him really uh, wow. oh yeah wow. uh there were 24 the first season, but there were four others, all of whom got fired in the early part of the show for various reasons. Hmm. Uh, then they added, like I said, some more, and a total over the three years we filmed. And it seems like more because there are so many shows, but we did five shows a week. Right. But we only filmed for three seasons. The fourth season in the 50s was just rerun. Huh. Jeez. Now, you say you started when you were five. Yep. What... I, I first made money at five. I was right. performing before that on TV local in Pasadena, California, in Altadena, California, uh, on a children's show, but playing, a, I was the youngest character actor around, because even a, a, a five-year-old knows that uh, the evil fro- laughing frog and Prince Charming are different voices, but different guys, you know. <laughs> and I try to affect that. Yeah. So what, what caused your parents to decide to put you into show business? Well, uh... To be as concise as possible, my mom and dad were a dance team at Vaudeville and nightclubs, uh, uh-huh. Dot and Dash. Uh, my mom sustained a number of injuries. They don't tell you that, but in dance teams that happens frequently. Mm-hmm. And she said, no more of this, Howard. And three years away, I, uh, later, I came along, and it was very clear that I, I liked to get reactions from people by uh, when the radio was on or the player piano or whatever. I'd try to dance and sing along, and I made people smile and, and all that. Plus, my mother, uh, since her career was no longer there, could um, make her sound a star, you mm-hmm. know. And she must she have had connections. Or... She even later became a, a theatrical agent. But, uh, yeah, she wanted to do that. And so we moved out to California from Kentucky when I was three. And then I, uh, uh, when I was four, I started dancing lessons. And um, I'd start performing in community sings and uh, in contests, winning some, you know, um, the, the paper contest, you know, a whole three bucks or something. But in just <laughs> 48, that was okay money. Right, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> my first real bucks were uh, at five. I, I did a benefit for the police at the Pasadena Civic Auditorium, Pasadena, California. Did my act, which is uh, song and dance and uh, some uh, imitations and uh, an encore. And I made 25 bucks, which is not bad for a five-year-old right. in 1948. Huh. It's very good, as a matter of fact. My dad wasn't too happy. <laughs> <laughs> I made almost as much as he did. <laughs> so do you remember your first paid actual movie or TV role? 
Uh, the, remembering the first one is really difficult. Uh, uh, by uh, the next year, true, you're very young. Doing yeah. TV and, and film and all that, and I'm not really. It's very hard, even though I just wrote a, a memoir about my life from my, uh, my birth uh, through January 2010 and the unfortunate death of Cheryl from cancer mm -hmm. in January of, uh, I mean, 2009. Uh, but uh, I, my first running role on a TV series was The Ruggles, which started character actor named Charlie Ruggles. And I played Oliver Quimby, the next door neighbor, and so I recurred in the series. And that was a series that demarcated when all of a sudden there was a shift from filming in the East, which had been done before. This was about 50, 49, 50, and things started filming in in uh, uh, California, which is you know like 95 to 99 percent of it now. Mm -hmm, yeah. Uh, so. Uh, the first actual role, I don't remember, but it may have been in the, the Colgate Comedy. I did about a dozen of those with uh, Eddie Cantor and Bob Hope and Martin and Lewis and Avin Costello and guys like that. Wow. Now, but I don't remember, you know, the very first one or anything like that. The right, first yeah, film I did, so I think, was M, which was an American remake of the film that made Peter Lorre famous, uh, M, about a, um, a child uh, murderer who was uh, turned in by the, uh, the other thieves and cutthroats and killers uh, from where he comes, because they thought it was the worst thing in the world. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and they remitted, and I had a, a role in that. And uh, now, I played Al McAllister's son in, in Yankin, Korea. And, of course, I did a really much more well-known films, like The Greatest Show on Earth for Cecil B. DeMille with Jimmy Stewart. That's um, what I was going to ask you about, the, the Greatest Show on Earth. Um, yeah. Do you remember, how, how old were you then when you were doing that? Uh, I think I was about... Seven or six, I think six. Six or seven, yeah. Uh, it, there's a scene in which, at uh, the end, uh, the only role that Jimmy ever played in which he was a bad guy, uh, he has to give away his dog, and he gives it to this little girl. And I'm, I'm with the kids there. There's about four or five kids around the little girl. It's just one scene, and I have a line. Um, and uh, that was cool, but I remember that. I remember Hans Christian Anderson better only because I, I worked longer on the film. Three or four weeks, and, and uh, I'm related to uh, Hans Christian Andersen. I was going to ask uh, you that, too. because Yeah, Danny <laughs> Kay uh, uh, played the role, and when they found out that my great-great-grandfather was Carl Eimer Anderson, a sea captain who emigrated to the United States, that's from my mom's side, uh, they were very interested, and they, they, had, uh, they did a lot of photos with uh, Danny and I in costume. Uh, and I wasn't too pleased about it, even at that young age. If they had me in a turquoise shirt with billowy sleeves and a big yellow bow, <laughs> and I wasn't pleased. But showbiz is showbiz. <laughs> that all led up to, of course, being on the Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah, um, I, um, the title of my memoir is "Confessions of an Accidental Mouseketeer." Yes. Now there were two accidental mouseketeers. Um, my accidental uh, status was that I was an established actor at that time. When you get established in the business, you don't go backwards. Uh, they were auditioning uh, amateurs. Uh, Walt even said he didn't want those pro snotty kids, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, they were paying a minimum uh, for Screen Actors Guild, 165 a week. And they were seeing hundreds, if not thousands of kids a day for weeks, and my agent wouldn't let me go on that. I did read for the role of Marty in Spin and Marty uh, against Tommy Kirk and, uh, yeah. and you know other people uh, mm -hmm. and um, I think and David who uh, who got it not the role but uh, they asked me to audition for the Mickey Mouse Club and uh, at that time uh, I had other agents before my mom was my agent after becoming an agent why oh, give ten percent away when you can make it anyway right. uh, <laughs> uh, they asked me to audition and I said of course but it was a private audition. 
uh, what happened was uh, uh, they were doing a recording, I think, of early songs for the show uh, down at Capitol, which is on uh, um, uh, Gower Bronson. I forget the street is on, but it's right, right where Paramount used to be. And it, it's no longer there. Mm-hmm. And my mom's filming the car, and I went down, <clears throat> and I did the recording, and there was a lot of kids and one adult, Jimmy Dodd. And he said to me, uh, do you also um, dance and act? And I said, well, the truth is, Mr. Dodd, I, I dance and act better than I sing. So I had a private audition uh, for the head producer. He wasn't given that title, but it was Bill Walsh and uh, Jimmy Dodd and uh, Hal Aliquist, another producer, uh, in one of the rooms, uh, uh, small rooms, not the huge sound stages where they did the kids, you know, who were amateurs. And uh, <clears throat> I was offered the job. But when they, you know, told us it was the 165 a weekend, I'd just be one of 24 kids. Uh, my mom, the agent, said, uh, no, I don't think so. And in the book, I disclosed that uh, the fellow who was one of the two casting agents told her that um, I would be blackballed in show business if I didn't take it, and that she would be blackballed as an agent, as would all of her people from uh, Disney and any place else they could blackball us. Wow. So that's why I did it. Now, as it turns out, that was very beneficial to me, even though I was up against... Uh, Johnny at Washbrook uh, for uh, another show in which there were two parents and a horse and the kid lead. It was called Ma, uh, Flicka. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, <clears throat> that didn't last very long. It didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But it was a lot more money, and uh, I would have been one of the lead characters as opposed to one of 24. And but nobody knew what the Mickey Mouse Club or the Mouseketeer was. I mean, the whole concept was, we didn't know. Uh, it was Disney, so that was positive. And you said, yeah, it may work out. On the other hand, it may be like many things in show business and just come on and go, whoops, not this one, and uh, you're gone. But I signed a seven-year contract, and uh, uh, later in life I realized this is a very positive thing for me. Yeah, so they, they made you sign a seven-year contract. Oh, well, the first season we all signed seven-year contracts with uh, six-month uh, uh, options. My first one was signed by Roy, uh, Walt's brother. Yeah. And um, we were guaranteed, uh, see, I think it's 22 of 25 weeks' work every year, so you ostensibly could be off six weeks. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, they were seven-year contracts, including Annie, uh, who the only one who left, uh, who stayed afterwards, except Tommy Kirk, who wasn't a Musketeer, but he was one of the Hardy Boys. Right, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, Tim didn't stay on either. He went with Don Grady, one of the Musketeers, for the last season, Don Grady, Don Grady. Yep, Don was a guest on the show. And, um, <clears throat> and which ran a lot longer than our show, 12 seasons or something. Yes, like. yeah. But uh, <clears throat> we all had seven-year contracts. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I, uh, I'm the only Musketeer in the Smithsonian. I have about 50-some-odd uh, items in there. Uh, really? The majority are Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah. They're showing my ears right now, um, <laughs> along with a Dumbo ride for Fantasyland for 55. But wow. The majority of my things are Mickey Mouse Club, but also my, uh, things, uh, my books, my plays, uh, uh, poetry, uh, things I've written, as well as other parts of my career, because I'm the only one except for uh, Annette, Annie. Uh, to continue in show business. She took time out to raise her three kids and then came back yep. uh, with the peanut butter commercials and, and doing other things after the you know the beach movies. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, Sharon continued, but she was doing <clears throat> characters uh, for uh, children's shows, so she was in a costume. You didn't see her. But I'm the only one who stayed in uh, all the way through, just adding uh, as an adult after my master's uh, uh, in theater. Uh, before my Ph.D., uh, working on it in English Lit, um, uh, directing and choreography, mm-hmm. and, of course, writing in various formats, newspapers, um, criticism, uh, magazines, uh, later online, uh, books, plays, 
poetry, a little bit of TV writing, a little film, et cetera, et cetera. You're keeping busy. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm not... I'm not, never been accused of being obtuse. Uh, it's clear that you're not always, unless you happen to be a big star. That's about two percent of the people in show business. Of which there are uh, now about 120,000 in one, at least SAG, the biggest union. And I belong to four different unions for it. But you're out, you're out of work unless you're on a series, right? Yeah. Or you have a long run in a movie. Uh, but then you're out of work again. Right. Oh, yeah. uh, so you have to have another way to make a living, and I, I really don't take to uh, serving food and doing stuff like that. <laughs> uh, so, although there was a period uh, I had to go through that in the transition from uh, being a child star to an adult um, after I finished my master's, because I had dropped out of the business professionally, and uh, I was a head bartender at a uh, dinner house. Um, <clears throat> but I finally started to get them to forget that I was a terrific dancer, had this pretty blonde hair and wore ears all the time, and that I could act. Uh, and I also learned a great deal about more about my crafts in college, not from the teachers, but from doing plays, doing Shakespeare, doing mm -hmm. Chekhov, doing Brecht, doing yeah. Albie, and, and learning, because I, I I'm not much of a fan of uh, the studio and uh, method acting and all that jive. If you want to use it, great, but uh, it's my belief that all uh, fine actors, which are quite different than the majority, who just uh, are people who dominate the furniture and memorize lines, like Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep, and right. you know, yeah. um, uh, that you find your own way. Uh, there are some books you can read and you can learn some things, certainly, but um, it's not the same as being a painter. And there are successful painters who never learned to draw, but where you learn to draw first and then start to use different mediums and color and yada yada yeah a uh, dancer contrarily you have to take a lot of training and i did that but uh, an actor uh, it's it's more of uh, your own approach rather than a school's approach yeah and one thing i noticed that um looking over your career i mean you've you've constantly you know been busy but um there was well, one thing constantly. that that would be dishonest what's that it surely i said not constantly that would be dishonest well but certainly enough to keep myself from off the streets that's never been right <laughs> but one thing i noticed that in 92 you're listed as, uh, as doing stunts for newsies yeah that's uh what did you do a, uh, the usual internet uh, screw up it okay <laughs> that, what it was is this uh, i worked twice for kenny ortega now you probably know him from high school musical mm -hmm. which he's the the director and right. and uh, currently the director and, and and choreographer all those things that have come from high school musical he directed and and, and uh, choreographed his first film newsies which happened to be for disney yeah and he cast me in as as an irish um um uh, thug, a, a strike breaker from the kids who were, you know, who were striking the paper. Mm -hmm. And cause I did a Cockney, and I know I did it as an Irishman, that's right. Uh, that was an Irishman. And, um, and I did a lot of dancing, and I did a, uh, more fighting than I've ever done, uh, although I played a lot of heavies, bad guys, uh, uh, a lot of fighting. So because of that, they said, uh, they somehow got out of it that I was a stunt guy. But that's not, that's not true. I had some lines in the scene. Uh, I did a lot of dancing, and I did some fighting. But um, and I learned some skills about fighting on a camera, which is uh, yeah. very strange indeed, because it's uh, really literally two-dimensional. That's a whole art itself. Yeah, yeah, but it, but it's more like choreography. If you yeah, do it right. Now I did a film with Van Damme, and once I played a bookie, fortunately I didn't have to fight anybody. But the other guys, uh, I'd see were people who. Um, who didn't rehearse things like dancers do, and that's not all dancers, unfortunately, but that I always have. 
you don't get hurt. But one guy got really clonked once because they hadn't, you know, right. gone through it slowly before they shot it. I'm sure, yeah. But that's that's a, a one of those things that happens. On the phone. There's a quote that floats around. I've been trying to get off IMDb uh, for about three years and had no success. <laughs> In which uh, they said that I, I only saw Walt Disney four or five times. I never said that. I just said, unlike what other people say, which is inaccurate, that he was always around our set. I mean, he occasionally would show up. We filmed a couple of things with him. We saw him more or less on the lot because he just happened to be there. But uh, he wasn't always around or watching over our show. He had too many things going on. I'm sure with all the, with the park and everything else. Well, and then the, the main reason he did the show is because he needed money to complete it, and ABC gave him the money to finish the park right. by providing the Mickey Mouse Club. Mm-hmm. So they had five five hours a day of programming. Yeah. Well, I had an experience that now uh, <laughs> other masketeers claim it's, uh, that's why I write things down, and I'm a writer because uh, you keep track of who did what. Uh, um, in the first season, there were 24 kids, and I'm walking down uh, uh, towards the, um, uh, I think it's Goofy Avenue, I forget which it is. At any rate, I was going to the, the cafeteria to eat, and, and Walt was there with smoking his pipe and talking to a guy, and he said, Mouseketeer Loney, hi, how are you? I said, well, I'm very good, Mr. Disney, it's good to see you. He said, have a nice day. I said, thank you very much, and I'm, I'm walking past, and I say, hey, there's 24 kids. He knows my <laughs> At the same time, I realized I was wearing the body shirt <laughs> across the front, so I wasn't that special. But you'll hear that now from Sherry frequently. Sometimes Tommy. It depends on what who decides to say what when I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one way for him to make sure he can actually know everybody's name if they're wearing a shirt. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I do want to mention something about websites. Uh, I've been the only uh, original Mouseketeer from the 50 shows who's had a website up it's, uh, in its 10th year, and it's uh, uh, mm-hmm. And uh, But uh, there have been two that's just been started. Uh, there's a webmaster, Alan, who started one for uh, Annie, Annette, and uh, Cubby is starting one up. And his is just, uh, just sort of there. It's not landed that many things yet, just a couple of photos. But they're starting up. And uh, I'm thinking of uh, possibly retiring next year, because 10 years is 10 years. But I always keep people up with, the, you know, copies for this marriage or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one or, thing... You know, kids uh, getting married in the Vatican. One of the, the Musketeers truly was, was married uh, uh, the Vatican. Hmm. And, you know, stuff like that, as well as things from the past, as well as things now. Um, and one thing about your website, I was, you know, I was looking it over and everything, mm-hmm. and uh, you've got a lot of pictures on there, and... and, and one of the pictures, it just struck me mm. when I was looking it over, is a picture of you, I believe it was probably the 80s, uh, something like that. You were with Mickey, mm-hmm. and you were at a baseball game. Uh, yeah, that was about 83, and we were at uh, Mets. And, uh, and, at the Met, the Met Stadium, was it? No, and, Shea Stadium. And I thought, when I saw yeah. that picture... That it was one of the Bee Gees. <laughs> you, because, uh, you know, if you hold a picture of, of one of the Bee Gees next to you in, in that time period, you looked a lot like one of the Bee Gees. I've never heard that, but it's good to hear, though. Um, I, well, I had my hair long and blonde still from earlier, and I had a beard, and I was holding the ball because Mickey uh, has problems with his hands sometimes. <laughs> and <laughs> he was going to throw out the first ball, and we were making an appearance there for Bee Gees because... Um, uh, one of the museums, I forget which one, was doing a retrospective on Disney, and there was a Mouseketeer Day. So we were there to um, uh, sign autographs and say hi to folks, and they decided to have us out to, to the park. 
And um, but that's about that's about eighty three. That sounds right to me. Yeah, and, and we're going to put a link so people can just click, and it'll go right to your site, so they can get uh, a chance to see some of those pictures because it's it's just Great. really interesting. Thank you, thank you. Well, I try to use ones that aren't always on eBay and on the net and, and that right. kind of thing. Everybody sees the same thing over and over. And they can they can find out about my book. Uh, the, the least expensive uh, place, as opposed to Powell's Bookstore or Amazon or Barnes and Noble, is to buy it on my site. Plus, I sign it. Yes, that's uh, nice. And, and to just give you an idea of what that's about, uh, I, I start with my my birth, and then when I started in the show business, and taking me all the way through of working with everybody from Elvis Presley to Ginger Rogers and Dustin Hoffman to Jack Benny and uh, Clayton Moore, the original Lone Ranger. Mm-hmm. Uh, to uh, Carol Channing, uh, this is a lot of a lot of names. Angela Asbury, Murder She Wrote. Yeah. Eddie Cantor. Nobody knows who that is any longer. <laughs> <Boy> <laughs> I know Rogers. who he is. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, I, it's, I, I've been doing it for sixty-two years. Yeah. Is there anybody who you've acted with that you were in awe of and just? Well, not in awe. There were people I was in awe of that I didn't work with. Them. Fred Astaire, for instance, mm-hmm. and Harry Grant. Well, I met Cary Grant a couple of times, but I didn't work with him. Uh, but the the guy who comes to mind first is I worked on Broadway with uh, Prez. That's Robert Preston, mm-hmm. and that was a show called Mac and Mabel. And uh, Bernie was in it too. That's Bernadette Peters, and uh, it was a musical. And Prez was just a great guy. Uh, he 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 had it was a great raconteur, and he'd drink his uh, black and white scotch and soda tall after a show and tell these great stories about. Virginia City, he said, well, Victor Jory and his guys didn't like Errol Flynn and his guys, and they were really fighting. Those weren't stunts. They were hitting each other, these guys. And he had these great stories. Wow. And he did a lot of films before he became so famous as the music man and all of his uh, Broadway work. Of course, yeah, yeah. But he was a, uh, he was a very cool guy. Uh-huh. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Looking at your, your credits, too, there's all sorts of different things here, um, and I'm sure people know a lot of these shows. Like, uh, well, you were in uh, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, I played a, uh, a lookalike agent in the one that uh, the one that got to air. Uh, I did another before that, but the director was on something that we won't talk about. and <laughs> didn't get the scene right, and I had to go to a uh, dress rehearsal for a live show at Disneyland. Hmm. And they wanted to reshoot, so they, he just grabbed somebody who was an actor friend nearby, and he did the role. But that's the one I did uh, where I was a lookalike, uh, and these guys were trying to look like uh, old-time hoods. Mm-hmm. And they were some of my guys, so I played a lookalike agent on uh, Lois and Clark. And you, and you were on the Beverly Hillbillies for a guest starring role, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I was in the, I was in the, uh, the 60s. The 60s, so I 60s. Yeah. yeah, I played a... Um, people think I'm playing a, a Native American. That is not true. I was a hippie who happened to have long black hair and, mm-hmm. and a, this quilted thing I wore. And uh, Jethro was trying to buy a dune buggy, a big hopped-up dune buggy that was mine. And um, and the banker's trying to get um, a, a, a pig for Granny <laughs> to cook, but he thinks it's a real pig and they meant something. You know, the usual, yeah, Beverly Hillbilly. Right. All that, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Homicide. Life yes. Life in the Streets. Homicide, yeah. Yeah, I played the owner of a club uh, who's, uh, they whacked the, the lady who was the, the uh, nighttime manager, and I got to yeah. tell them what's going on and who's who and lead them here and yeah. there. And, and now, one of the early shows you did uh, mm-hmm. back in 1952, uh, for kids of that time, being on the Roy Rogers show... Yeah must have been a thrill because i mean mean, that was it was roy rogers (laughs) well it was but you know it depends on who you like i didn't tell roy this because he was a very nice man so (laughs) dale and trigger was not stuffed yet uh uh i hop along was my favorite really yeah okay (laughs) i didn't tell him that because i also did the geometry show didn't tell him and I later did lead. My first TV lead uh, was the same year as my first stage lead at, at the age of eight. I did my own writing on The Range Rider as the title character. And uh, I didn't tell him about how long here. But that was who I liked. But if you were yeah. a big Roy fan, sure, that yeah. was really good. Now, you worked with, you said, Clayton Moore on The Lone Ranger? No, no, no. I did a, uh, Clayton Moore was the first and only, as far as he was concerned, uh, Lone Ranger. And we did a commercial. A commercial. Okay, that's sure, what a commercial. Um, um, uh, we rode in on a horseback, and he told me what an important thing is to eat breakfast, and then I was eating my, my Cheerios. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, no, 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 Clayton Moore was, was the Lone Ranger in it. Yeah, no, uh, and uh, the Range Rider was Jock Mahoney, mm-hmm. Sally Field's stepfather. Yep. Most people don't know that, but I didn't find out until later. Uh-huh. But he um, uh, had been, a, a, uh, like John Wayne, a stuntman first, and uh, in the distant shots, I'm doing my own riding because I owned a horse at the time and was a rider. Uh, but in the close-ups, I was on the back of a pickup riding on Jock's back. <laughs> and somebody <laughs> underneath the camera was holding these stirrups I was holding, and I was trying to get away because they, they kidnapped me for ransom. <laughs> the little secret behind the scenes. That's right. <laughs> he said, I'll do it. Come on. Get the kid on my back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Um now, uh, with the Mickey Mouse Club, were, were you close on the set, the, all the members of the, the cast? Uh, well, we, we got along uh, really uh, quite well, considering how many kids and, and, and that proximity and not having uh, anything together. I mean, we were all in different grades and all in different ages and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it broke it down into groups, you know, people hung with different people. And uh, um, but it was okay, really. It was not, you know... Uh, People don't really realize what it was like in the 50s. There were things wrong with the 50s, of course. Mm-hmm. Every era has problems. Of course. But it was a heck of a lot better than it's been in the last <laughs> 30 years. And, and there were things that didn't happen. I mean, you know, if so, something came up, it was a minor skirmish. It wasn't any big deal. Right, yeah. yeah. And, and it was, you know, kids are kids. That means some kids are not going to like other kids. Yeah. Were there a lot of uh, boyfriend-girlfriend type uh, things going I, I kinda on? I kind of led that. I, see, I was three years ahead in school. Yeah. I started dating at nine, which is very precocious for the 50s. And since I was ahead in school, I was dating girls 11 and 12. And I was 14, I see, in high school. I had been in show business and um, had this uh, mental uh, situation. And, uh, and I didn't skip any grades. I did them all. I made very good grades, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. And uh, I was uh, interested in ladies, very young. <laughs> so I would date. At nine, what would happen is, is my dad and, uh, and mom, I mean, uh, yeah, my dad and mom uh, still like to dance. They just didn't do it professionally. So we go out dancing. So I take a, uh, the first one I remember is Gerald, and, and uh, we pick her up. And then uh, we go out, and we go to a place like uh, the Palladium uh, or at the Santa Monica Ballroom and dance. 
And uh, on the way home, uh, we'd hold hands, and uh, anywhere else I could think of that was accessible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Now, um, so I, oh, I, I'm sorry, I should have finished. Say, by the time I started the Mickey Mouse Club, I was 11, because uh, we started about April in rehearsal, et cetera. And uh, I turned uh, 12 May 31st, 55. Mm-hmm. And my older girlfriend was Annette, who turned uh, 13 in October of that year. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you see any of the uh, the remaining Musketeers? Not as much anymore, because uh, uh, there are a few of us who don't still live in California. Right. Uh, the majority of them do. Uh, Sharon lives in Reno. Uh, Cubby moved from New York to uh uh, Washington State. He's only about an hour away from me. Uh, mm-hmm. My wife and I uh, moved uh, to uh, just outside of uh, Portland um, in 08 from San Clemente, California, after being uh, east uh, in the Maryland, D.C. area. Um, before that, we did, particularly when there was a renaissance uh, of the show uh, in 1980, we made the, um, the 25th anniversary, 25 years of Mouseketeers, in which I also worked behind the camera as a second writer. And uh, we made that show and did performances at uh, Disneyland Live uh, that started in 80. And I wrote one and uh, co-choreographed, co-directed, uh, <clears throat> along with, uh, and then appeared with uh, five other Musketeers. Mm-hmm. And uh, those started, continued for five years. And the people, you know, Disney was uh, amazed that people were so, I mean, our shows were packed. Right. People were bringing their kids to see us because uh, had, we had Mickey and, and Minnie and Pluto and Goofy and characters as well, so their kids could relate and they could sing our songs and they liked singing the songs. They remembered them. Yes, yeah. Hmm. Well, people still do. <laughs> oh, well, it's true. You start it, you say, uh, you may know these words, I mean, and everybody almost everybody starts singing because they know it. You know, they remember it. Yeah. Huh. Do, you, do you ever tire of uh, people you know, remembering you from the Mickey Mouse Club? No. Uh, uh, now, of course, they don't see me walking down the street. I've been shaving my head for six years. I have a beard and I wear glasses, and I'm in my 60s. Uh, they don't say, oh, you must be, but the minute I, uh, uh, I bring it up, which I don't normally do. Yeah. Yeah, but no, it's, it's wonderful, because people uh, continually uh, either write me at my site, or I see them, and they tell me, I mean, wonderful stories about how they react to the things. I even have one in my memoir about, uh, we were signing autographs, uh, this is in the... Uh, early 80s, um, it could have been the late 70s, uh, at Disneyland, and this guy came up, and I wondered where the heck security is, because uh, they have tight security at Disneyland, but when we were around, they just sort of figured, oh, who's going to bother them? As far as I could tell, anyway, this guy came up, and he's got the long chain down on the pants, and he's got tats, you know, and, yeah. and I said, oh, this could be trouble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, he comes up, and he asked for my autograph. Uh, uh, he had got some before me going to get some more. He said, uh, I just want to tell you, uh, my life was going the wrong way, and I listened to some of the things that Jimmy said, and um, uh, it helped me turn everything around. Wow. And you feel like, oh my goodness. I, and that's not the only person that has had that. I mean, you know, some people have named their sons after me, for goodness sake. <laughs> really, they've, they've told me, or the, the sons have, or there's, there's a pilot who flies for Alaska who's really bugged because his name is Lon, and people will be asking him if he's me. <laughs> He's saying, no, I just have the same name. But uh, we've had such a, a beneficial effect on so many kids and their parents and then later generations of kids 
that it's 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 wonderful to be a part of. And when it happens, you just feel like uh, there's something more important here than entertainment mm-hmm. that you're connecting and had had connected, and people still remember you and connect to you. Right. And yeah. it's it's like reliving their their childhood for oh, a second, yeah. and they go, "Wow, this is so enormous. <laughs> you oh. can't understand." And now, and of course, I, I'm not. Then I can't, but I do, uh, and it makes you feel wonderful. Yeah. Now, what's the story behind the Velvet Smog? Oh, well, <clears throat> I looked a little like Mel. I was a big fan of Mel because I was into jazz and, and classical yeah. more than rock and roll, even at a young age. It just was my thing. It always has been. Mm-hmm. And I looked a little like him, and I, I, was, uh, I had a lot of baby fat still on me the first year. Um, the late Bob Ansbury, who was the third adult in the show, much younger than Jimmy and the boy, used to kid me about it all the time, but I, I went up like three or four inches from the first year to the second year and stayed the same weight, 95 pounds. But I looked like him, and I had this sort of huskiness to my voice, and everybody knew he was the Velvet Smog, and they decided to name me the Velvet Smog, and I have an autograph from Mel. Oh, really? It says, yeah, yeah, it says, uh, to the Velvet Smog, from the Velvet Fog, <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. But that was because there was a, the, we were both blondes, and, and he had kind of chubby cheeks. Mm-hmm. And I was chubby at that time, and then I had this uh, huskiness in my voice that the other kids picked up on. Hmm. <laughs> All right, I have a cu- just two more questions here. Okay. Um, but they don't relate to any of the things we've been talking about. Well, you want to get somebody else on? Or? <laughs> <laughs> no. What are you? are your favorite TV shows of all time? Not necessarily ones you were in, but ones right. that you enjoy. That's always difficult to do, but I can tell you right away. Um, uh, I'm, tr- I'm losing the name of the, the title of it. Uh, the West Wing, I think, is uh, mm-hmm. uh, the best series ever done that was not a sitcom. Yeah. Uh, the same way, uh, for me, the best uh, made-for-TV movie was um, uh, Lonesome Dove. Ah, yes. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um now, others will disagree, and we all have different opinions. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. people, everybody's a critic when it comes to movie and TVs, even though I used to make money criticizing theater plays and films from newspapers and magazines. But they, you know, they just, everybody thinks whatever. But those, those come to mind immediately. Seinfeld was brilliant. It's really a show about nothing who then had people write a show about nothing. And you just laugh, and it's about silly stuff for people who never worked. Never do anything. Right. <laughs> they just sit around and talk. And uh, it was a brilliant show. There are other, you know, good shows, uh, you know, Dick Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Moore, uh, uh, Friends, uh, yada, yada. Classics, But yeah. that one, uh, and there's also some really horrible ones that I don't watch. I haven't seen a good sitcom for some time. But um, uh, those are the things that come to mind. Yeah. Um, um, for kids, uh, except for a show that... Um, has been on for, gosh, 20 years, and it's international now, and they have stated that they learned a lot from our show and uh, projected uh, teaching and learning further than we have. But we had some uh, didacticists involved with one of our segments in the show, sometimes two. Uh, that's Sesame Street, but, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, the, the hand, the, the fist that uh, kills everyone that's been on for the last 20 or 30 years, I don't know how many kids, now. it's my wife, oddly enough. <laughs> and uh, we don't watch it, but it's been too much, uh, too many machines too early, and too much violence, and, and uh, even on TV, it's gone beyond the pale. Um, yeah. 
Um, so I don't know about children's theater, except for Sesame. Uh, right. I don't know what else is out there. Right? So there were other viable shows when we did ours. Actually, I thought we knocked Howdy Doody out of number one when we first came on. Really? Wow. Yeah, we had the highest daytime numbers uh, for the entire year, the first year, except for um, uh, the World Series. <laughs> wow. Jeez. What about movies? What's your favorite movies? That's tough, because there are so many I like, but there are very few uh, compared to the rest. But the, the first things that come to mind are um, um, Being There, best work Peter Sellers ever did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great movie. Um, gosh, the, the names don't come unless you have a list in front of you, and I certainly don't. Yeah. Uh, uh, Wings of the Dove, J- Henry James, taken to film. Okay. Really nice. Uh, Remains of the Day, a uh, similar type of film. Mm-hmm. Good, uh, the uh, English Patient. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Tootsie. Oh, yeah. Funny. <laughs> uh, very funny film. And uh, But that's just off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, most of the things that I see now, I don't even want to go to see, so I don't. Yeah. Uh, but you do find some out there. Yeah. Uh, but if I had known you were going to spring that on me, <laughs> I would have gotten some of my tickets uh, for my. I've seen two or three this year. They were pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I have to, you know, go back and, and uh, refile. Right. That's, I think they that's one. Get so much media. All of, you know, I'm online every day. I watch CNN. I check the New York Times, and I get the the Oregonian. Um, Newsletter, I call it, because it could be done in Bugga Bugga, Wyoming. Right. Same thing. All I do is quote AA and UP and, and uh, you know, person makes pot in Oresville, poor Oregon. And you say, well, that's good for them, but why am I reading about it? <laughs> it's just a pot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Lonnie, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it, this, is, this has been a lot of fun. and I've enjoyed it, too. And just uh, tell those folks to... You're really going to like, I say, to let you in on, a, on inside and show business in a very different way. I'm very honest in my, in my uh, memoir, Confessions of an Accidental Mouseketeer. At the same time, um, uh, I don't think children should read adults' memoirs, but uh, anybody who's 18 or older, your grandmother or anybody, is not going to be displeased about my honesty or the things I talk about. This is not a, a book about sex or, or using bad words or anything. Mm-hmm. Sort of yeah. It's just about how my life has uh, has been in my forty year marriage to Diane. When she just we saw uh, the great Leonard Cohen last night, who is uh, seventy six, and the guy went on for two and a half hours. Man, it was unbelievable. Wow. he's a brilliant artist. I always liked him better than Dylan and all the rest of those guys. He's a great mm-hmm. artist, and he was so cool. But she gave us that for our our fortieth anniversary, which is in September of this year. Oh. Second longest Mouseketeer marriage, just one that's one year older. Oh, really? Bobby, Bobby's is one year younger. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, that's great. Jeez. Unusual in show business. Yes, yeah, I was going to say that. Uh, uh, I also uh, I interviewed um, Dick Van Patten, and he had been married for ex- yeah. extremely long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So of course, it's, he's older than me, so he's probably... Right, oh, yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's a lot older. <laughs> But it's always interesting to hear, you know, uh, that uh, there are marriages that in Hollywood that do, do well, sure, last. Uh, I, um, my book before this one was a book on comedy team, uh, comedy teams, uh, which started in vaudeville in, in, in the late 19th century uh, before that, and then really ostensibly ended when uh, the weakest team, Cheech and Chong, broke up in 1985. But uh, with Stiller and Mara, uh, Jerry Stiller yep. and Mara. Yeah. 
they've been married for uh, uh, over 40 years, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. uh, she writes plays now, and he was, of course, was George's father on Seinfeld, now is uh, the father on The King of Queens. Yep, oh yes, yeah. He's playing that irascible character that his wife knows of him yeah. as. <laughs> she was, you know, he's Jewish and she was uh, Catholic, and they played off that, that riff as well as their male-female differences. Oh yeah, great comedy team, yeah. Yeah, you know, they did some really funny stuff. Yeah. Well, we're going to put links so uh, people cool. can get to your site, and cool. uh, we. Uh, and if people have questions, that uh, people are always asking me thing. Uh, the, there's a, uh, another uh, website that's very good. OriginalMMC.com is the most comprehensive on the entire show in terms of historical. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a good place to go and find out things. And um, uh, I, I answer questions all the time. People say, well, "Was there a Mouseketeer Harvey?" And I say, "I'm really sorry to tell you this, but." <laughs> <laughs> There was no Mouseketeer Harvey, I'm afraid, nor Irma. <laughs> so <laughs> people would be surprised when people say they were a Mouseketeer or weren't. Right. Jeez. Well, Lonnie, thank you very much for taking the time. I appreciate it very much. My pleasure, Brian, and I wish you well, and your audience uh, will come hear your next show. I'm sure it'll be great. Lonnie Burr, one of the original Mouseketeers. I want to thank him so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, busy time of year, you know, everybody's rushing around and everything, trying to get things done, but he, he took the time. We appreciate it very much, and uh, it's uh, just great to talk to him, find out all about uh, the Mickey Mouse Club, the originals, okay? And uh, let's see. So uh, next week we are going to be starting uh, information about our contest, which starts the week of January 1st, okay? That week is going to be... The contest is going to be coming your way. Uh, we'll give you complete details next week and on onscreenandbeyond.com. And also, uh, you can check us out on Facebook. We'll have information there. So, uh, you're going to give you a chance to win some goodies here. So, okay. So, we'll keep you informed on that and give you a chance to win a complete season of a TV show. Okay. Not going to tell you what it is yet, but uh, we'll give you more details next week right here at On Screen and Beyond. Well, uh, if you want to. Communicate with us. You can email us at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. Until then, this is a wrap for this show. Have a very Merry Christmas. I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. Uh -huh.